Houston Rallies is a movement created by the Lee Group, a Houston-based advertising agency, to help make a difference for the many other small businesses that are the heartbeat of our city. The Lee Group fully understands the struggles and trials involved with running a small business in one of the most competitive markets in the world. The Houston Rallies podcast, created in partnership with Radio Lounge, is a hub of information and inspiring stories directly from the small business owners that make Houston the great city that we all call home. From interviews with movers and shakers to thought pieces on best practices for advertising your business's specific services, Houston Rallies is your destination for advertising insight and inspirational ideas. Hi, this is Macy Bodenhammer with the Lee Group Advertising. Thanks for joining us on the Houston Rallies podcast today. For those of you who have been listening to our first few episodes, thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and reviewing the podcast. It really helps us grow. You'll notice that starting with today's interview, we're changing things up a little bit. Feel free to let us know your thoughts by sending an email to houstonrallies at tlgadvertising.com or sending us a message on Instagram. So today we are very excited to have with us Sandra Daniels, who is the co-founder and executive director with Youth in View. Sandra, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. We're so excited. (laughs) Great. We're excited to have you here too. So you run an organization called Youth in View that's focused on foster care and adoption. And you and your husband founded this organization. Tell us the background. How did you get started and how did this organization come to be what it is today? Um, Well, I guess I come from a long line of uh, foster parents. So my mom was a foster parent and she adopted my siblings. and. I just remember that as a child and then going forward as I became a parent myself, just coming from a place of wanting to to do more with kids, uh, to actually just even have a presence in my own children's life, just growing with that whole process, decided to become a foster parent um, at that time, long before we decided to, to actually open an agency. So it really started with your own background with your family. Yes, yes, absolutely. I remember my own uh, legacy of growing up with foster kids in my home and, you know, what my mother was like and uh, helping to, to mentor so many kids and just be there for them and walking through that process with her, even as an adoptive parent and my own siblings who we, we just I just love my siblings so much. Um, and just even to that extent, you know, fast forwarding to my own experience as a foster parent, uh, just at that point now sharing that same experience with my own kids as well. It's wonderful. So it's, it's, it's about love and it's about family. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, all, 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 everyone on the earth, you know, has the opportunity to, to give so much to a child uh, that they sometimes don't think about just even mentoring, not so much even to having to do the foster part of it or to adopt per se, unless that's something that they feel in their heart led to do. But overall, just anything you can offer children, you know, helps us as uh, just as mankind. We help each other so much globally and what we are allowed to experience with those kids and what we give them the opportunity and the power to give back. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So you shared with me 
how the organization started. And it was a very inspiring story to me because it was about you and your husband and, and your own family um, turning the love that you were able to share to your own children and to foster children and, and growing that into the nonprofit today that supports, gosh, 150 families across Texas and part of Louisiana, right? Um, we actually are not in Louisiana, but we um, definitely are all over the state, but up to the border of Louisiana. So we are anywhere from Amarillo, we are in region three, region four, and region six, which takes us somewhere near Shreveport area where you got that. We're close to Shreveport, but also um, back to Palo Pinto, up north to Amarillo. We're near Lubbock. We service kids and families there. And then we're down near Houston all the way uh, to the border, Galveston, <laughs> everywhere that Houston borders. We're, then we provide uh, services for families and foster kids in those areas. Got it. And can you can you share the background again about um, when you and your husband realized that um, you were not just caring for your own foster children, but but you essentially fell into what is today a, a business? Yes. Um, yes. It was a it was a bit of a challenge, I suppose. We we kind of started out just like most parents do, just wanting to you know, like I said, for me, it came around as this is what my life is or who I am. And I enjoyed every minute of it. And we were with an agency at the time where uh, the gentleman who we were with, I guess he had fallen into some type of trouble uh, with that particular agency. And he, at that moment, had committed suicide. Um, and he uh, he was the director founder at that time. We didn't know what had happened. We knew him personally because we had trained with him, spent time with him. He's a great fellow as far as we know, um, really. And uh, at that time, we had about maybe 10 kids in our home. And uh, this, we just re started receiving no payments. So we received no payments uh, from anyone at that time from state or anywhere else. And we ended up using all of our retirement money just to support the kids that were in our home that were in care and we just came to the commitment that we didn't want any other foster parent to experience that. And just even from the standpoint of the loss of the gentleman himself and for the impact that happened on his family, but just what we could do for the kids and making sure that foster parents never experienced that type of negative um, experience uh, in engaging foster care. It's already so many different stories that are out there in response to uh, what foster parents and foster families don't do right or how the whole industry itself is viewed at, at times. But there are those of us, you know, like myself and my husband who are committed to, to the industry and have spent 20 years of our entire life uh, dedicated to that cause and, and to helping the kids we can in the state of Texas. And, and it's a wonderful cause. Um, I can't think of anything greater than people who are willing to open up their hearts and their homes to children in need. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the Lee group um, decided to feature Youth in View in this Houston Rallies campaign because we're shining a spotlight on small local organizations like yours who are doing heroic things right now. The foster care system is already one that's that's somewhat complex and has difficulties already. What are you going through right now with this pandemic and the changes in family dynamics that have happened so quickly? 
Oh, my goodness. Uh, so just not even only that it's on the tails of, you know, so many other disasters, you know, that have come across, even in Houston with the flooding and everything that just occurred there, you know, uh, just everything that's been happening across the city of Houston and all together, um, just when it comes in response to that, but just supporting families through that. But then now you, you add on to it uh, an unexpected pandemic. And, you know, now the foster parents are taxed even more with the kids are at home every day. There, maybe before it was just a little bit of a break sometime for them to be in school because we are talking about, you know, a difficult population in general. I mean, it's enough if it's your biological child. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, they do come from hard places and they do need extra special care and attention. But now you're being asked to do that, you know, 24 hours a day seven days a week, 365 days a year, which they do anyway, but they do have the support sometimes with schools and daycares. And with those not being available, it, it's it's taxing. It's taxing for them at this time. So we've just tried to do our best to provide, uh, you know, care packages, support packages, extra money um, just to pay for a movie or groceries, extra groceries. Those are unexpected costs uh, that they didn't anticipate. and. Um, I'm just so proud of the work that all the foster parents are doing. And, you know, I'm just so on there on a mission to help support them as much as I can uh, at this time, because it is a difficult time. And then it's unexpected. We don't even have any idea when it will end, what it looks like, even just the cost of masks. You know, we think about, oh, we have to go get masks uh, for ourselves. And we think about our family, but now their family is extra masks, extra kids. You know, um, some of them, our average size, maybe three to four kids in a home, you know, that's a lot when you're talking about all these uh, difficult times that have come about with the pandemic and everything that's impacting them. So everything helps at this time. Sure. What is, what is the biggest challenge right now that, that you're facing and, and that you see foster families facing? Is it financial? I think it's a combination, but probably you know, like I said, uh, just just a, as a matter of stretching their minds to have the type of support, maybe respite care, because they need a break. You know, I think even though, and that's hard to get because you still have other families who have to protect their families as well. So we've been working hard to source to uh, uh, to getting uh, extra families who can provide respite care for our foster parents, but also um, even if, you know, because I guess the churches are not open now, so you can't even get faith-based support. So just any place that maybe could give them an hour or two or three with just a break sometime, I think would be helpful. But in, in lieu of that, then obviously, you know, funding, ideas, toys, games, we did support baskets where we took out ideas and creative uh you know, watercolors and how to make slip and slides out of trash bags, just whatever we could come up with to make a fun day for them that they don't have to work at trying to figure out. Great. So it's sometimes just the small things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what What is the, the biggest thing you've learned as the, the executive director of a, a nonprofit that is really doing things that are so impactful to families? What have you learned most over the past few months? Um, in respect to the pandemic or just overall? Overall, overall, as, as a, a founder of an organization and, and 
running a nonprofit. Oh, that we really need people. <laughs> <laughs> we need we need community um, more than anything. And what you all are, are doing in your mission is is so so important and helpful just to be able to communicate, you know, to the rest of the community, what, what we're thinking about and how we're feeling. And we just need everyone, you know, we need the families, we need the church, we need Houston rallies. We need everyone who can come alongside to help support those kids and families uh, because we cannot do it alone. Absolutely. And that that's the mission of the Houston rallies campaign is, is uniting and rallying cry on how we can help each other. So how can people help Youth in View? What can our listeners do to support your organization and those families and kids in need? Absolutely. So the first thing they could do is foster. That's, uh, you know, just if it's ever been something that's been on their heart or mind to help provide a home for a child, this is the time. Um, you know, most of the kids are not coming in, you know, infected. We're not seeing any high numbers of that. State is going out of their way to ensure that there's good screening. So it's a safe process. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, obviously, they can go to our page and donate if they don't if they feel inclined to do that. It, we've created a wish list um, and that wish list, you know, speaks to some of the needs that our parents have voiced that they have. And then obviously volunteering their time or even mentoring just to take a kid to, you know, have a burger or something could give foster mom, foster dad a break. Sometimes um, those are very powerful ways. Great. And your website is youthinview.com? Youthinview.org. Yes. Okay. So people can find out more information there about how to support you. What is the process for becoming a a foster parent? How does that work? So they would reach out to us. Um, Normally it involves, you know, obviously criminal background checks, um, health and fire inspections, a lot of training, (laughs) but uh, we help walk through that process with them. And if they reach out to us, you know, at our office there uh, in spring, then we can uh, go ahead and uh, provide, start them in that process, get them the applications and start them in the training cycle. And they can find that information on your website as well? Yes, they can. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) How big is the need here in in Houston? Do you have an idea of how many children are in need of a foster family? Well, I mean, the we get emails daily. That's what I'll say. It's across state lines. So, uh, just it's so 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 we have kids in Houston that live that are getting homes in Dallas and getting homes in Austin or getting a you know trying to find shelter in different places. So I don't have specific numbers on just how many we're looking at currently in in our area here in Houston, but definitely uh, I have experienced. Uh, where we don't have beds or the placement unit is calling for homes. And there are different agencies across the state that don't have beds at the time. So I would definitely say as we go through the process and we're even looking at all the impact, even just on bio families, if we're talking about that type of, you know, what's happening with them, they do need that support as well. Because even though a child may come into care, it doesn't have to be long-term. It can be brief just because a parent may need support um, and the state needs the option to be able to have a place to place the children at the time. Okay. And because of the the crisis that this country has faced in the past few months, would you say that the need for foster families and homes has increased and that supply of those has, 
has decreased. So there's a, a supply demand challenge right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I'm sure we've all seen different stories recently, you know, um, of just how many kids are being removed and the different uh, abuses that are going on. And a lot has to do with family violence. You know, sometimes they're just impacted by family violence, poverty, how much they are needing support. And even though those things may happen, those numbers were already there prior to the pandemic. And they're just, you know, those are doubling now, I would think, with all the rest of the different challenges that parents are having. So, you know, we try to do our best to support state office. So what we do is to be there for them um, because they are the front line, obviously, of going out and being there with along with first responders. Uh, when kids are being impacted, you know, just by either drug use or crime or any or just any other circumstance that comes about. And then we're the next call that they make uh, shortly after that. Wow. Wow. It's heartbreaking. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> what What are the consequences if a, a home can't be found for children who who need a family? Uh, they go, like I said, they go across state lines. So they're going to go anywhere from Amarillo to, and they're going to send out an entire message that says, you know, we need a home now. If you don't have one, please, please let us know. Because this can even in, include, you know, special needs babies, um, uh, autistic children, children who are, you know, so, you know, may have other issues health wise and need extra support. And so every parent cannot be a parent for a child who's special needs. So we do train for that as well. We train what we consider to be treatment foster homes who have one layer deeper and can provide more support. Many times those children may come, they may have different regions that they have to go to because they're seeking beds. Right. So there could be a, a huge geographic change for kids that are already going through a lot of change right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right here in Houston as well. You know, we have a lot of families who have taken children out of region and it's hard on the child. So I, I can't imagine. You mentioned to me in an earlier conversation that worst case scenario, kids can end up in shelters and sometimes siblings can end up separated. Absolutely. And, you know, if one more family can open their hearts and their home, um, you know, even on a temporary basis to help that could prevent that kind of tragedy from becoming even more tragic. This is true. This is true. And many times we'll get large sibling groups in um, anywhere from sometimes six to eight kids. Um, the state will make a special allowance to if the home has bed space to allow them to remain in the home together, even though they have rules against group homes. But you know, just like you said, sometimes it's not in the best interest of the children to be separated. But uh, at, even at that cost, having more than one home that's available that can take maybe two or three of the children each home, even if it's three homes. So you have three homes, but they all have the siblings. Then it makes it better because we consider ourselves to be a, a family as well. All of our parents who are with our agency, we all consider each other family. So they'll network together to make an accommodation for the children so that they have time to spend together and just to, to be connected, even though it's just, you know, a kinship family type of setting, they get to see each other all the time, play together, hang out, have arguments, do what kids do <laughs> the same thing, just as if they were at home temporarily away. So that sense of normalcy has to be critical yes. for kids. It does. It helps a lot. They're going through enough already uh, like you said, and so just being able to have that, and this even even if they're required to go to a shelter in the immediate moment, 
you know, just being able to make that as short a time as possible because they know they have that they're moving to the next place. It's just having a family environment is, is really helpful. Right. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> what, what is the biggest misconception about about foster care? Ah, that everybody's only in it for the money. Uh. They say that a lot. And, you know, it's not true. It's not true by any means. And I think that, you know, anyone who takes in one of the babies who's had such tragedy in their life and has been displaced from their own family will quickly lose the sense of that reality because it's not real. The love that you have to give that baby every day, the care you have to give, the, you know, now you're deploying everyone to your home. CPS is there. We're there. The therapists are there. The CASA workers are there. You know, you've opened your home up to the entire community in on behalf of the child. You know, obviously it takes money to care for a kid. They have to eat. They have to have clothes. They don't come with clothes every time. I don't care how many you donate. You can donate all day. They are like kids. They grow out of them. So you still have to make purchases and do other things. And you want their life to be very normal, just like any other child, um, all the way up through the point where they age out of care. Those kids who are aging out, they want cars. They want they want the same things that any other kid has. And how do you navigate that water? So it's a it's a it's a it's a task, but it is a helpful, necessary uh, task that we need to provide as a community, and not be afraid to engage it, and then take away all of those negative uh, connotations that come with that, and 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 experience it. Because I think if you allow yourself the opportunity to engage that system and that community, you'll quickly know that it's not about the money. So if we can share stories and make it real for people and communicate, come together, then we can work to combat those false perceptions, you think? I love that. I love that. Just uh, like, you know, I think briefly that when I was talking to my daughter before uh, she was mentioning that I had made a comment before about I felt like foster parents were had the real heart of a hero. And I I agree with that. I didn't remember the statement, but she made it clear that it was profound for her. And I think that we have to get to know those families. And I think being able to profile them, highlight them and share their stories, just like we shared. I shared ours about our experience. Uh, when we were coming along as foster parents is very helpful and it helps people understand what really happens from day to day. So it's right. It's real. It's a real life. It's real life. And we also have a hashtag. We use real families foster because real families do. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Hashtag real families foster. That's correct. (laughs) When, when we first interviewed you for the Houston rallies feature, um, you made a closing statement that that came full circle for me and was so touching. And you, you said, when it comes down to it, everyone just wants to be loved. Absolutely. We all just want to be loved. <laughs> Thank you. That is true. And especially our babies, especially our kids, they don't, they don't understand everything that's happened to them. And we don't always understand it either. But at the end of the day, I don't really think it's so much about the tragedy that's come upon them or, or whatever has impacted their family as it is just being able to pick up that baby and hug on them and love on them. And, and that's never failed for us. You know, uh, we provide those, you know, without any requests, you can have a, a hug and love is 
for asking. I'll ask if do you need a hug? Do you need some love today? And as soon as they tell me yes, we're good. So, and I've not encountered without one child who that hasn't been the main caveat. The main commonality with all of them is that they just really embrace the opportunity to have someone embrace them. There's there's small things and just feeling wanted and loved. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You also made a, another statement in our original Houston Rallies interview um, in working with youth who have been through very difficult times and helping them grow beyond their circumstances and understand that that what you've experienced does not define you as a person. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we definitely provide uh, preparation for adult living services, which every year for us encompasses a teen summit. Um, we're having to modify that this year. but. Just helping them to come into adulthood, you know, obviously, depending on how long they've been in care, they go at it, you know, feeling that they have missed something. And and that may be true. You know, you cannot you can't tell them that that's not how they feel. But at the end of the day, you know, what what can you do to make your life better for yourself? So you have the opportunity to go to college. You have the opportunity to go to work, to get a job. Um, and we don't we don't allow children, I'll say allow, we don't encourage them to take the opportunity of being in foster care to victimize themselves even further. So at this point now, I, I, don't, I don't allow them to make excuses about their ability to be successful. And we encourage that very strongly year to year. We have a lot of our kids who graduate, come out, go to college and, and they come back. And so they're, they're very successful when you take away their accountability for someone else's mistake. And I think that they have to be allowed to have the opportunity to do that. And you encourage it and you tell them, hey, if your mom was on drugs or your dad was on drugs or whatever happened, that it, I understand and it's unfortunate, but you're not going to keep trying to figure out how to fix that for them. We're, we're going to let you fix yourself for you and go live your own life and live the best life you can live. And we're going to help you get that done. That's what we're here for. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful that you have programs fo focused on teens, you know, because we, we hear stories all the time about how difficult um, adulthood can be for kids that spend years in the foster care system. It is true. I mean, it can be. And I think that a lot of times, you know, you have to help them understand and respect their foster parents as well. And I think the way that you do that is encouraging them to love them and create rapport. I don't know any foster family that has a, any of their babies that they've had for six, seven, eight, nine years that emancipates that can't come home for Christmas or Thanksgiving if that relationship and love are there. And I think it's two-sided. I think the parent has to offer it, but the child has to be encouraged to accept it. Sure. So it goes both ways. Absolutely. Yeah ways. You and your husband um, began fostering, like you said, tw 20 years ago. Do you have adult children that you fostered that are still part of your family? Do actually. Yes, we actually do. Um, so many of them, you know, still, they don't come around so much because they have their own families now and they have their own kids, but they, they talk to us a lot. They still talk to my kids as siblings on whatever social media that they get on and share with each other. But you know, they, they're doing well and they call and they talk to us a lot and share stories about what they remember most. I've run into some of our kids in the shoe store and they're like, I remember you. And I'm like, you do? And they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh my goodness, that is you. Hey, how you doing? 
and uh, just really good to see them, you know, mature and grow up and go into the community and and just become, you know, just normal adults and doing what everybody else is doing. And they're happy. So must be very rewarding. Very yeah. rewarding. Yeah, it's really good. It's actually good to know that they're doing well. That's the the joy that I have is seeing them progress and, and just live their life in a happy way. That's good for them. Right. The overall goal. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what What's next for, for Youth in View? What, what do you see changing and how you operate and, and what's, what, how has, how have the difficulties over the past few months um, forced you to look at new ways to a- adopt how you support foster families? Right. Uh, Quite a bit, I suppose. Mainly uh, trying to get my, you know, you're, we're we're working through, I guess, what we want to look at as some type of COVID PTSD. I don't know. I think everybody's experiencing high levels of stress, and so we have started to accommodate that by, you know, encouraging family therapy in the foster homes just to identify, you know, potential trauma, just secondary tertiary trauma that can happen by all of us, for that matter on the whole earth, maybe at this point, who just are experiencing, you know, unusual amounts of stress or uh, just being impacted by the the pandemic itself in general, psychologically. But apart from that, you know, and looking at the clinical aspects that we're required to look at, um, but just being able to uh, do a summer camp. So we started doing a summer camp that we're opening up um, to do workshops for the kids once a week. just to give the parents a break throughout the week from day to day. So finger painting, calligraphy, uh, makeup classes, just whatever we can come up with and uh, just paying volunteers or getting volunteers to come in or paying people to do the workshops that can help take away some of that pressure for them. Uh, Just trying to master working remotely. That's been difficult a little bit. Um, We already were set to do that as an agency we had a lot of components in place, but then accountability comes to the table differently. And I think now you're looking at a lot of aspects of that. So just, you know, grappling with a lot of things that most organizations, I think, have had to going into the whole concept of social distancing and all of that. We've you know reduced office hours and changed them up differently. But then also respecting foster parents and uh, their their feelings about having people in their home, just like we talked earlier, cost a therapist, you know, doing telemed, doing teletherapy. So just trying to figure out ways uh, that we can be more creative about supporting them is really important at this time. So, Right. So many challenges that we're facing and you layer that on top of the existing challenges already. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for being a part of the Houston Rallies campaign and for the work that Youth in View does in our community. And um, again, let our listeners know that you can find out more about Sandra and her story on our website, HoustonRallies.com. And you can find out more about Youth in View and their organization, how you can help support their mission for foster families, foster kids, and adoption on their website at youthinview.org. Thank you so much. The pleasure is all ours, and we just appreciate uh, the community in Houston coming out to support and being a part, just to listen to our story. It's been amazing. So thank you so much for your time.
You're welcome. So Real Families Foster. Absolutely. Hashtag Real Families Foster and hashtag Houston Rallies. Find out more about our campaign again at HoustonRallies.com and about some of the local heroes we have spotlighted, um, including Sandra Daniels. Thank you again for being with us today, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me. Make it a great day. Are you a local small business owner looking for some help connecting with potential customers? Is there a specific topic you'd love to hear more about? Visit our website at HoustonRallies.com and click Join the Movement. Fill out the form. We'd love to hear from you. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. And remember, we are strong. We are resilient. We are Houston.